Yarn. Yarn eighteen. Stammer. Put yourself in this situation. You have to make an important phone call. The person answers. Hello? You have your introductory line ready in your head. You've even practiced it out loud. Hello? But nothing is coming out of your mouth. You can't get the words out. Is anyone there? You start to panic. You try your hardest to force any words out. Something, anything will do. I can hear you breathing. But you just can't. Okay, whatever. This can be one of the many simple interactions that turns into a nightmare for anyone with a stammer. This is one of my closest friends, Dermot. The Americans say stutter, we say stammer. I've known him for over 20 years. He has a stammer. He's had one as long as I've known him. Like most people, I didn't take much notice of it. After all, everyone stumbles over words sometimes, don't they? What's the big deal? I certainly didn't think about what was happening behind the stammer. The thoughts, the anxiety and the tricks being employed under the surface of what most would consider a minor blip in someone's speech. So today, Dermot is going to tell us about the secret war he wages every time he speaks. So what exactly is a stammer? Technically speaking, stammering is is three different types of disrupted speech. Classically, the kind of... What was the name of this stammering Looney Tune? Was it Porky Pig? It was, wasn't it? He had a repeating stammer. The second one would be what you would call prolonged sounds. It might be e- easier. And then the, the last one, and what I would call the worst one, or the most difficult one socially, is called the block. The block. Dermot. It just means all tone and all vocal amplification just goes silent and you get stuck in the middle of a word and there's a silence that fills it in and that silence is, can be tremendously traumatizing if you're not ready for it or if you're if you if you don't accept it i suppose yeah because yeah. it tends if you don't accept it you fight against it and when you fight against it it gets worse all three of those happened to me probably the repeating the repeating one is the less common one um the blocking one is a big one for like my my name and stuff like that the blocking one is is really like i said it's it's the one that people will look at you and go why are you suddenly mute like what's i mean when you're repeating or when you're prolonging a set and it's not so bad because or it's not so awkward because you're clearly stammering but with a block it's like what? <laughs> Why aren't you making sound? The reason you struggle to say your name so much is because it's something you can't avoid. So ne- nearly every other word in the English language can be interchanged with another word, except for your name. Although I have met people who use different names because they couldn't say their own names. Um, I was on a stammering course once and a woman told, told us her name was Anna uh, and we were calling her Anna for about three days and then we all went off 
and learned a lot from the course. And then we all came back about six months later and we said, hey, Anna. And she goes, my name's actually Saoirse. <laughs> I couldn't say it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just an idea of like people can get into real difficulty with this. Like, How does stammering first develop? It must begin at a very early age. A lot of people can trace it back to like a beating they got off a teacher or something like that. You know, like the older people, they often talk about the nuns or the priests or something, hitting them a few smacks. And ever since then, their, you know, their speech is disrupted. Nobody really knows what causes it. Uh, generally, they say one in every hundred people uh, has a stammering complex, as I call it. Oh, it, there's uh, people say every now and again in the kind of stammering world, oh, it's gen it's genetic. It's to do with your genes. And apparently there's some genetic yeah, research that has shown that, but I don't think it's definitive. Cue somebody here it is actually it's in the i mean the genetic thing for me is okay it could be genetic but why like in my massive extended family does nobody else have it like so the whole genetic thing kind of i'm not so sure about that having said that it is pretty common for stammering parents to have stammering children but i think that could be nurture in terms of their growing up in it like let's go back to dermot's own story what's his first memory of stammering i don't remember uh, I only know that when I look at videotapes of myself, my family, have, for whatever reason, has quite a good archive of footage from when I was very young. And I was stammering age four or five. Um, I wouldn't say severely, but noticeably. You mustn't shout it. Singing your, 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 your good voice. Singing your good voice. Sing a proper song. It's when you're learning to talk, like that's when it happens. So who really remembers learning to talk? You don't really, you know, so. When you're a kid growing up and you have four older siblings and two parents, um, you get talked over a lot. And I think that's probably, for me, I think that was like the genesis of what, what I would call my stammering complex. It was a feeling that I had to get something out quick before somebody else <laughs> uh, weighed in on top of it, you know? Where have they gone? Quick! Where have they gone? They're gone! They're gone! They're gone! What? Are you alright? Uh, Fish Called Wanda. I remember seeing that when I was really young and like all my brothers and sisters watching it and I remember looking at it going, oh, like that character is like me. Like. What? <laughs> you. Have you got a stutter? Oh, okay, fine. Don't worry, don't worry. Do you know? I might remember feeling a bit worried when I saw that going like, what's going on? Why, like, you know, why me? But you know what? I didn't actually uh, give a shit about my stammer until I went to university. That was the first time that I uh, became self-conscious about it. Couple of things in university in my first year. I lived in a campus apartment with a group of lads who I actually got on all right with, but who I didn't like living with. <laughs> I was way too dull. I was, wasn't into fucking staying out all night and partying and stuff like that. And they used to have people back every night and it, used to, it just drove me mental after a while because I just felt like nobody was listening to me. And every time I tried to like complain about it or something, they were just like, oh yeah, don't worry about it, it's groundwork. And I just got myself quite flustered over that and um, yeah just a lot of new people around um, whether it's you know whether as before I would have been introduced to new people in my life very uh, incrementally like even when I went from primary school to secondary school 
um, most of the people that I started first year with, you being an exception, were people that I knew in primary school. I think just that the novelty of university, the environmental change, the problems with my my living arrangement, uh, all of that kind of started to affect my confidence uh, in a serious way. And for some reason, I just decided that my speech was a problem. I did a presentation in about May of my first year of college, uh, which I remember was particularly horrific. Um, really, really difficult. I, rem- I remember being worried about it before that presentation, but I remember after the presentation, I was like, fuck me, like, this is serious now, like. And uh, by, that, by the end of that summer, like the first year, my first year of college, I was like desperate because I really felt like I wasn't able to talk at all anymore. It was like, I, I guess it was kind of like a breakdown or something. I don't know what it was, yeah. In, in terms of speaking confidence, that's what it was, yeah. I remember like going to buy credit for my phone back in the days when you would buy credit like over the counter. And um, the phone company was O2 and I just couldn't say O2. And I remember I started getting one of the lads to, to, to buy it for me. Yeah, you buy it for me, I can't fucking say it. I started to avoid heavily then. And avoiding is like the, the one thing you just can't fall too much into. I'd say the lowest point was that summer of first year in college. I went to work in a factory and I had another woeful experience there with my speech. I had to ring up to get a lift home off this guy. I used to work in the same place as my dad. He was in the office and I was on the factory floor. And my dad couldn't bring me home that day. So he told me to ring X. And I rang X and I tried to identify myself and I couldn't. And I pretended to X that there was a problem with the line because I was so embarrassed by not being able to say my name. And X, I think looking back at X, knew exactly what was happening, but he didn't know how to communicate to me that it was all right. Yeah, that was that was really shit. I was desperate. The block stammer feels twice as long to the stammer than it does to the listener. Um, it's. Um, it's, it's a complex, you know, so a complex is like a series of neurochemical, physical, uh, cognitive uh, things all happening at once that create this general feeling of like, oh, fuck, you know, tension. And experiencing that is, is quite something. And it's difficult to be able to, I can't kind of translated from there into this moment now because yeah it is a little bit like a panic attack I would say yeah um, specifically to do with your speech it can be yeah you can get fucking you can really feel like you're surrounded I remember I was in getting fitted out for my deb suit and your man asked me my name and I struggled to say my name with a block you know so I went silent and of course as I was telling him trying to tell him my name he was looking at his piece of paper he was just ready to write it down and I remember it took me a few seconds to get it out and um, he kind of turned around to me not realizing that I was a stammerer and he said you forget your own name there and I said and I was just I just remember thinking fuck like fuck this like you know what I mean I hated that I hated that um, the I hated to struggle at things that people wouldn't even think about. That's the worst thing about it, you know what I mean?
you really think like you start to convince yourself and i think with, with the covert stammer especially and that's kind of how i would describe myself i would have been very caught up in the mechanics of my speech overly so do you know what i mean like i would practice uh saying words but you can't the thing the things that cause you to stammer can't be simulated when you're on your own you know what i mean they're environmental and they're normally, well, they're nearly always to do with other people. I can say anything. I can say anything. I can say my name 100 times. Dermot, 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 Dermot. And I won't start once. Because I've told you that, and you know my name is Dermot. Generally, most people are both overt and covert, but they're either more overt or more covert. I would say I'm more covert. Our overt is obviously clear and present stammering. Like... I try and be more overt, but I still fall into being more covert. So basically, if you're if you're overt about your stammer, you'll have an easier time of it inside yourself. You might actually stammer more, but the important thing is that you will accept yourself stammering more. But when you're covert, you're hiding, you're avoiding, and that's desperately uh, difficult to keep up and very bad for your self-esteem. Yeah, the covert stammer is like it's extremely adept at being able to manipulate a conversation into like however they can, however they need it to be commune to to be heard. Sometimes, like um, so, somebody the basic example is like somebody might ask you, uh, let's say I'm from Kilkenny, which I am, and I, if I had difficulty saying the link the word Kilkenny, um, I might start by saying uh, I was from the southeast. And then somebody would say, "Where in the southeast? Oh, just uh, maybe, just beside Tipperary. Beside Tipperary. Yeah, like not Tipperary or not Wexford, not Carlow, but uh, Kilkenny. Yeah, Kilkenny. I'm from Kilkenny. Once they say Kilkenny, I can say Kilkenny. That's the thing. That's the madness. Like the insanity is that you would rather be ridiculously weird like that." But you'd rather come across like that than be a stammerer, like, then, oh no, like, the worst thing that could happen is that you could see me struggling to say a word. That's just not good enough, like. Dermot is 19 at this point. He's after finishing his first year in college, but he's at rock bottom with his confidence in his speech. So what does he do? Yeah, so I told my mom that I was really struggling, as uh, all vulnerable men do. <laughs> and, um, she, uh... She came across the Maguire program. So the Maguire program, I went on the Maguire program and that was an experience. And uh, that was my first understanding of, oh, like this isn't just me. Like, so there was definitely a relief in the sheer communion of it. You know what I mean? That I wasn't totally on my own. It's like you're in the army or something, the way they, the way they break you down and build you back up. Like that's essentially what they're doing. And I think it's kind of, Ultimately, I found it kind of harmful to me in that way. Um, I was only 19, you know, there's a lot going on with a 19 year old about, you know, their sense of self and all that. So the general idea of the Maguire program is that uh, you're an athlete and speaking is a sport and you better get fit if you want to be able to speak properly. And here's how you get fit and you better be the best speaker you can be because uh, it's not about being a uh, non-stammering speaker it's about being an eloquent speaker you know eloquence or I can't remember they had all these mantras um, they used to they breathing everything was about breathing they would say it's all about 
started speaking with a costal breath. So you breathe from something like you breathe from your costal diaphragm as opposed to your normal diaphragm. I can't remember exactly. To be honest with you, now I think it's all pseudoscience. Um, but it's kind of placebo and it does work. Uh, but it only works for so long. And it works really well when you're on the Maguire course. Like you'll be coming to massive fluency, fluency that you never thought you'd have. Like, but having said that, they do push you out on the street and they do encourage you to interact with Joe Public, like asking people where what time it is and like but as soon as you're away from it and you're back in your real world, as so to speak, it really starts to yeah, crumble. And I think it's because you know, they used to always say in Maguire, oh, we can only help you with your speech. We can only help you with your speech. That's all we can help you with. But, like, the point is for me that, like, stammering is only... Self-consciousness over stammering is only a manifestation of deeper self-esteem. It's all about speaking in technique, you know what I mean? That's all they wanted you to do is speak in technique. And, um, you know, uh, that's great and all that, but it's not you. Like, it's like you barely sleep or anything. It's like... You see, have you up really early and you weren't allowed to talk to anyone and, apart from Maguire people and all this like. I remember meeting up with Dermot during this period while he was on the Maguire programme my first thought was why is he speaking like a robot I asked him at the time did he honestly think that this was better than the way he spoke before they told you that if somebody questions you too much about how you're speaking then you're better off not having those people in your life <laughs> as far as I remember because this is the only way like either you do this or you're fucked like that was the inference luckily Dermot didn't tell me or any of his other friends to fuck off it's like I remember like I was uh, went to the church of Scientology once uh, and I watched a video and at the end of the video some famous person was talking about Scientology and how great it is and they said that it's totally okay for you to walk out of the Church of Scientology now and never talk about it again and take no interest in it. You could do that. You could go and throw yourself off a bridge and that's exactly how I felt like Maguire program was. And I remember feeling really, really bad about myself for not being able to keep it up. A really intense guilt. And that's where I would query their approach because you don't want to make people feel bad about themselves ever that's that's not good like you know what i mean um people already feel bad enough about themselves about other people piling in on them you know what i mean so um yeah so that's why i have a bit of uh, reservation about it yeah to me that sounds very like a well like a i know i wouldn't use the word cult no like cult gets thrown around a lot like a i can't admit that i was in a cult okay <laughs> no I mean, cult, religion, whatever you want to call it, an organized system of thinking, kind of, you know what I mean? That's uh, a little bit too intolerant of uh, saying, oh, maybe we're not right about this, <laughs> you know? I remember I was about three months after being on the Maguire program, I was, you know, I had a lot of fluency and things were going really well. And I felt like I was kind of on top of it. And um, remember one day I went in to order a sandwich or something in Spar and I just wanted some lettuce on the sandwich and I just could, like, I felt this massive pang of resistance around the word lettuce and I was like, no, no, like, don't, like, I was like, I was just had massive hesitancy about even trying to say it, the fear just got really intense and I was like, anything else? I can't fucking say lettuce. And then from there Maguire started to crumble away. Now, like, Maguire would tell you, like, well, you should have done this and this and that. And that's true. I should have probably by their code. But I just think, their, for me, their whole emphasis was in kind of 
was on the kind of surface and not deep enough but that's not easy like that's tricky like because stammering is still very mysterious i think yeah i don't want to talk too much shit about mcguire because look it works for some people so yeah each to their own but don't try and tell me that it's the only way because it's not after i came out of college and i was like I finished my master's and i really wasn't doing much i was kind of it was like height of like economic recession and all that and there was no jobs to be had anywhere and you know, even if there was, I probably wouldn't have been, I probably wouldn't have wanted one anyway, because I just didn't really feel good in myself. And um, so uh, I decided then that I would, sort the <laughs> I would sort the stammer out once and for all. That needed to be taken care of. So what did he do? Well, he went on another course, of course. And this one was a lot more gentle, I would say. This was run by a guy called Patrick Kelly. And they ran a program in the HSE, or the health service, for years. Um, and it was called Patmar, Pat, and him and a speech therapist called Marie, I think. So they called it Patmar. And uh, it was a it was a HSC course for stammerers, and it was actually really good. So Pat, Pat, Patrick was um, a stammerer himself, as all Maguire people were, by the way, I have to say that. He's the guy who uh, told me to think a little more fundamentally about my, uh, you know, how I felt in myself. Um, He's the guy who really told, told, told me the benefit of uh, voluntary stammering. Um, it was just altogether much... Oh yeah, and you would be like, like... You would have a few drinks and stuff in the evening. It was just more, much more relaxed. and It was more real life. Basically what they were saying is... Your problem... Your, your difficulty accepting your stammer probably has something to do with other things in your life. Do you know what I mean? So that's all they were saying. And that's 100% true. Voluntary stammering is um, stammering on purpose um, and the idea behind stammering on purpose is to reverse your um, habit of trying to control and of trying to hide and trying to conceal. So the covert stammer is trying to conceal stammering at all costs. Voluntary stammering deliberately reverses that and um, asks that you demonstrate, advertise, and be open about stammering in your speech to the extent that you stammer when you don't need, when you don't actually stammer. <laughs> As in like, if I had never met you before and I was sitting down with you now and we weren't gonna talk about stammering, we were gonna talk about something else, but I was nervous, I might like to demonstrate to you that I had a stammer straight away before I said anything else. So I might do that by saying, yeah, I took, 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 took the bus over here. You know what I mean? That, that repeat stammer there was clear and present and was deliberate for me to show you just to let you know I have a stammer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of talking about it, instead of going into it, just demonstrate, show not tell. That's why I always say. And uh, that can, that's like really powerful. It's really powerful. And it's extremely, it can be incredibly liberating because it's taking that self-consciousness and it's saying, yeah, I am, uh, I'm self-conscious, but I don't need to be self-conscious. I don't need to hide this. In fact, if I open up about it, it's better. Dermot's first full-time job out of college no doubt surprised some people. He took a position as a tour guide at a historical building, a job that requires him to speak to crowds of people for most of the working day. It's ironic, sure, but it's also... Maybe we seek out places where we know we'll be heard. <laughs> a lot of actors have it. Um, musicians, 
eventually you reach a kind of comfortable place when you're working as a tour guide whereby you really think you're able for anything it comes from being exposed again and again to groups of people listening to you and clapping you and telling you that you're really good at your job just builds a lot of confidence i'd like to thank you for coming out I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've learned lots. And thanks very much. And I think with public speaking, the biggest thing that will make stammering less of an issue for me is that I feel like I have the space to speak. That is to say, I don't feel like someone's about to jump in on top of me. Yeah, if somebody's listening to you, if somebody if somebody can demonstrate consciously or unconsciously that they're listening to you, then... Um, I'll just feel a lot more relaxed like but it's not the, the important thing is not to worry too much about in the first place not to worry too much about other people if somebody interrupts you then they interrupt you you know what I mean it's not a reflection upon you or anything like that you know people interrupt each other all of the time I asked Dermot what a non-stammering person should or shouldn't do when interacting with someone with a stammer well if you're if you would like to uh if you would like to help the person it's just basic it, it, it applies to talking to everybody you know in an ideal world i suppose we'd all listen to each other uh we'd all allow the other person to finish speaking you know uh, but we don't sometimes um so but that's the same the same goes for stammer oh uh, I think it's always rude to try to finish anybody's words, sentences, but, um, you know, it happens, but with a stammer, it can be, sometimes it can be a little condescending. If you know that person is somebody who stammers and you think that you need to help them by finishing their sentences or you just can't be arsed to wait for them, then, you know, well, you're probably just a dickhead to start, <laughs> but um, you really shouldn't try and finish someone else's sentences. Or say words for them um also that's uh, unfortunately that's especially uh common sometimes with parents and children yeah uh, and i suppose i guess in ireland maybe we're not great at that sometimes um there is definitely something in the irish character about the fast talker the fast talking you know um and you know to what to be honest with you i don't resent that like i actually kind of enjoy it now like but maybe before i would have been kind of ah you bastard like i can fast talk and i, I can interrupt people as well so you know I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as anything like i would be uh, pissed off with people making fun of it for comic reasons but i could live with it as well you know what i mean i remember tommy tiernan making jokes about stammering a few years ago when i was like <laughs> in like height of my stammering war i remember once playing a game of cards with a guy who had a stutter <laughs> and i was the dealer i'd only just met him and i said to him how many do you want and he got flustered I knew how many he wanted, but I was roasting the fucker. Sometimes, like, honestly, sometimes it is kind of funny, like, you know what I mean? I remember once I was with a friend of mine in Kilkenny, and we were doing, like, messing around with a quiz or something. Uh, um, one of my other friends was asking us questions, uh, and uh, we were both trying to jump in with the answer first. And that kind of time pressure would really kind of exacerbate the the disruption to your speech. 
Uh, so like my friend, my the first guy, it ask a question. I would try to start to answer. I, I would start to say and to stammer on the word that was the answer. But while I was doing that, the other guy could kind of decipher what I was trying to say and then like try and say it before I got to finish it off. And he did it about three or four times. And when like the third or fourth time we did it, I was like, you're not allowed to fucking steal my answers from my stammering. And he, we all just burst out laughing because it was hilarious like you know and i suppose like you know when you get to that stage you kind of know that you know you're going to be all right with it like it's not the big it's not a big deal like what really annoys me is when people go man you're you're cured like you don't have a stammer anymore (laughs) i'm like fuck you you're cured like uh they what what's happening there is they saw me at a point when i wasn't so comfortable with it and i there was a clear difference in how I was speaking then to how I'm speaking now Um, but I guess this is like the frustrating thing from Stammer's point of view is the general lack of awareness within the population about stammering and one of the one of the one of the the facts of the matter is um, there's no cure for it like you know what I mean if you're born with it you're probably going to die with it so and it's it, it also when they say man you're cured or whatever they kind of imply that there was something wrong with you back back when and i haven't said that there kind of was something wrong with you but what was wrong with you is that you were worrying about it so much and that was actually creating more stammering but um yeah i look it's it's i'm not going to judge people too much because it's difficult when there's not awareness around the subject you, oh, or when people talk about bad stammers or terrible stammers he has a terrible stammer or, you know, she has a terrible stammer, you know, as if like it was so excruciating to have to listen to them kind of. As I speak to you today, I feel like I'm at like, this is my, I'm at my optimum level of not caring about stammering. You know what I mean? Because it's just you and me here. So like, stammering as on the list of things that I have to worry about is like way down at the moment so you know put me to a or send me to a house party where I only know one other person and there's 30 other people there a wedding (laughs) you know it's going right back up to the top it's just yeah that's the end of Dermot's story for now he's come a long way But I couldn't help wondering, after all he's learned and experienced, if he could go back and talk to his 19-year-old self, what would he say to him? I'd say, fucking cop on to yourself, you gobshite. Stop fucking worrying about stupid shite. (laughs) Um, Oh, I don't know, like, I'd just say, like, uh, you just need to accept it, you know? I know it's really cliche, but... It's as simple as that, you know, self-acceptance. It's really difficult to stay on top of. And, like, you just have to accept that there's a certain amount of it that you won't be able to control. Yeah, and I remember as well that it's fucking, Jesus, at the end of the day, like, it's not the worst thing in the world, like, to stammer, like, is it, you know? And there's plenty of other things that can go wrong as well, so. Mm-hmm. So, as long as you remember those kind of things, you'll be all right. Hmm. I don't know what I'd say to him. Yeah.
Something like that. This has been a story for yarnpodcast.com. Produced by John Roach and Dermot Tobin.